Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hello, milkshakers, and welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm your host, Reza Aslan. And I am your other host, Rain Wilson. You're talking in a very dramatic way, and I'm going to guess that the reason you are, Rain, is that this episode is the season finale of Metaphysical Milkshake. 170 episodes. Is that right? It felt like 170. No, Reza, I'm speaking in this way because I am a professional voiceover artist (laughs) and announcer, and I speak formally wherever I go, and I'm speaking as I age more and more like a newscaster. (laughs) And I speak as though Kermit the Frog was about to join the uh, AARP. That's <laughs> that's kind of what I sound like, right? Can I also make a Taliban joke a little bit because of your Middle Eastern heritage? <laughs> oh, or is that racist? Our, so our racist. audience already knows about you and your racism, Rain Wilson. I will say, though, on this note, I was watching the 60 Minutes interview with Zelensky the other night. And that whoever that 60 Minutes guy is, get the white hair. They all have white hair, but the white hair, especially white-haired guy. Like, it, I just wanted to shake him and be like, I mean, he was a good interviewer, a smart guy, but like, stop talking like that. You don't have to talk like a newscaster. And be like, so here we are in the Ukraine. Can you tell me why is all this violence happening? It's just like, dude, have you never heard a podcast before? People aren't talking like that anymore. Not not on our podcast, that's for sure. So what are we talking about? It's, you know, this has been an incredible year, mm-hmm. Reza. I'm just, you know what I've got? I've got the, the app open on my phone and I'm scrolling through these incredible conversations that we've had this year. My God, I mean, Gabor Mate dissected you, <laughs> Naomi Klein... <laughs> Uh, Pete Holmes made us laugh. We just mm-hmm. had incredible conversations. Mayim Bialik made an amazing case for religion. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Tell me, looking back on the year, what pops up for you? Where are you at? What are you thinking? You know, it, it, it's been a wild ride. So we had a lot of amazing guests, a lot of really deep uh, topics that we explored. Um, and, you know, every once in a while, one of these topics would come up and it would like land in a very personal way. And uh, I, I, got a, I got a list. I got a list of things, little guests, episodes that I think probably affected me more than others. I think they were all great. They're all like, they're like my children. I love them all well, equally. Well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're bringing that up because, 
Here's my question. You know, we set out to have these epic conversations about life's biggest questions from a human perspective. We wanted some humor. We wanted heart. We wanted intellect, philosophy, psychology, spirituality, sociology, all the ologies uh, in one big kind of soup of ideas. But we also talked about when we were setting out to do this, that we wanted the ideas to be relevant mm -hmm. in some way, to, to speak to us, to move us, to help us in our lives, to move us to action. So did we succeed in that at all? I mean, or was this just a bunch of like pontificating and prevaricating <laughs> or was there anything that like touched you and like, have, have you been made different in any way? Are you different now a year later since we started this season for cast media? Yes. I think, I, yeah, I could say that with a, with a, a good measure of confidence. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, so for instance, I think you, you, you mentioned Dr. Gabor Mate. That was one of my favorite episodes, one of your favorite episodes. I think one of, one yeah. of the better ones that we, uh, that we did in our season one, uh, we talked about addiction. You know, I think the topic was, are we addicted to everything? And the answer is yes, we are. Uh, but, uh, as listeners know, there was this kind of really fun moment in the middle of that uh, episode when I was confidently declaring that I am not addicted to anything. I'm one of those fortunate few that has no real addictions, really, except love. I'm addicted to love. Um, and uh, Might as well face it. You're addicted <laughs> I, I to love. I am going to face it. And of course, Dr. Mate let me have it, didn't he? An addiction is manifested in any behavior that a person finds temporary pleasure or relief in and therefore craves, but then suffers negative consequences as a result of and has trouble giving up despite negative consequences. But if, if I give you that definition, does that ring any bells for you personally? Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, Rain actually uh, at, the, at the start of this uh, accused me of being a, a workaholic and... I guess that's true. I am a workaholic. I have, you know, 14 jobs. I have a lot of kids that I have to feed, so that's part of it. But uh, but I never really thought of that as a negative thing, you know? I well, mean, the question, well, the question is, look at my definition. Again, the question is, does it have negative consequences on you personally, either physically or emotionally, or on your relationships? Yes or no? Yeah, that's the one I'll have to think about a little bit more. See, this is okay. really fascinating, Gabor, because I feel like my knowledge about addiction really matches kind of um, society's changing knowledge, right? I, like I would say most people, I, I used to think addiction was just some kind of moral failing, right? It's like if you're addicted to something, you've got a problem and you should go and, and, and fix it. And then, of course, I understood that that was a misunderstanding. And then I started reading articles that kept saying, no, 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 addiction should be thought of as a, as a disease, right? As like a, any other disease that you have. And so you have to treat the disease and, and addiction is a disease and you can do that through therapy or through medication. But what I find fascinating is that reading your material, your argument is that it's not a disease. It's not a... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Moral failing. It's not a personality trait. Yeah, uh, there may be some genetic quality to it, but it's not like a, a thing where... What we hear all the time, well, if your dad's an addict, well, then you're an addict. Uh, but that there's something deeper going on, something that does have to do with with childhood, right? Well, that's what I'm getting at. So yeah. that, that, um, that's what I'm asking you. Like, maybe you're one of the few people that doesn't have an addiction. But again, I'm just asking that definition, craving and pleasure, relief in the short term, negative consequences and difficulty giving it up. That was so insightful. He really drilled down on your, well, your your workaholism and where that comes from and that kind of insatiable need mm-hmm. to continue to achieve. I am a workaholic. I'm, uh, I admit that now. Uh, and it's not a joke either. I mean, you know, Gabor Mate's whole thing is that all addictions stem from some kind of childhood trauma. And- you know, what he made me realize is that as, you know, a child of immigrants, my family came here. I've told this story many, many times with nothing. You know, we were very wealthy in Iran. We lost everything. We came to America with basically a suitcase each. We all lived in a one-room motel uh, in which, you know, my sister and I weren't even allowed outdoors until nightfall because the management didn't know that there were kids in the room. Um my father went from being kind of an entitled, privileged, you know, son of wealthy landowners to having to work multiple jobs, all of which he hated, uh, in order to just barely, you know, get by with the the welfare cheese. <laughs> and uh, my mother worked for the first time, which was very, it was unusual for her generation uh, of of women. Did you have actual government cheese? Did you get government oh, cheese? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Blocks of, like, gigantic blocks of government cheese. They come I'd in- heard the rumors of the government cheese, but I, it actually exists and you, you They're the it. size yeah. of your refrigerator. So, like, there's nothing, there's not room for anything else in your fridge except for this gigantic block of government cheese. See, which- I don't, see, I want to just say for the record, and I know I jumped into your story and I want to hear your heartfelt immigrant story. Um, I've heard it a thousand times, but I'm happy to hear it again. No, but seriously, I love the idea of government cheese. I mean, this is a perfect way for a government to subsidize um, its poorest citizens. Like, don't be feeding money to these mega farming corporations. Just Mm -hmm. buy some cheese that you give to the poorest among us as part of the social safety net. I'm sure the cheese tastes like ass. Do you remember the flavor? I don't of the remember. Cheese? I honestly don't remember. Maybe, maybe because it tasted like ass, I, I blocked it out. I don't know. For, forget the subsidies of of of, of companies. Um, this is a it's a great way to uh, it's win win for the dairy farmers and for the immigrants living in single room hotel rooms in Oklahoma. Keep going. Well, you know. Anyway, the point is, is that like 
and as as we were talking about in that in that episode, you know, it really kind of tore my family apart. You know, my my mother and father fought all the time over, you know, our lack of money and resources and you know, it was a real strain in our in our household. And now I think about myself as an adult and you know, I'm proud of the fact that I have like nine jobs. I'm a full-time professor and I'm a, a writer and I produce TV shows and I do weird podcasts with, you know, strange characters. Um, and I've always thought to myself, like, that's, hey, that's something to be proud of. Look at me. I got like 15 balls in the air. And I think what that episode made me realize is that, no, this is actually a problem that I truly am addicted to having nine jobs. And it's not something necessarily to celebrate or be proud of, but it does definitely have to do with this kind of buried uh, kind of emotional fear that I have that my family may not have enough, that we may not have enough, that we may we may end up with government cheese. And if we end up with government cheese, then, you know, Jessica and I will start fighting and the family will break down the way that my family did. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it was crazy that at almost 50 years old, I had this incredible insight that, is, that has profoundly changed the way that I think about my past and it's changed um, the way that I approach my work. Uh, so thank you. But there's an, there's another element to that there. And, and that is the whole idea that you're, that you wanted to become a writer and for your parents, that's just an anomaly, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. to, to Persian parents, like you are a doctor, an engineer, yeah. a lawyer, yeah. you know, those are your choices. And, uh, you, you know, you're being a writer. So I imagine that that internalized was like, well, not only do I need to succeed, I need to triple succeed <laughs> right. to kind of prove my worth and my standing as an Iranian born um, writer. And yep. that, you know, the, the 12 step parlance is like, does this workaholism, did this workaholism uh, make your life unmanageable? And uh, what's the answer there? Has it made your life unmanageable? <sighs> no, but it has had a, uh, a negative effect, you know, on my relationships, my well-being, my health, for sure. Um, but I guess I never really thought about it in those terms because I I never thought about it as like an issue or a problem. But it is, it is, it is an issue and a problem. And to, to that point, I, I think I told this story before in one of our many, many episodes. But uh, I remember it's clear as day, the day that I told my mother that I wanted to be a writer and her response was, who's stopping you from writing? <laughs> you go be a doctor. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Doctor, and then you write. Nobody is stopping you from writing. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. I want to be a writer like as a career. And she's like, that's not a real thing. <laughs> that's not, not an career. actual thing like yeah uh and to this yeah. day by the way she still refers to me as uh as doctor <laughs> my son doctor oh. doctor reza and then hopes you that, do have a exactly you have a doctor in like that nobody brings it up exactly like, right. <laughs> like nobody asks right. what kind of doctor that's that's her that's her hope uh so that's what that's one uh thing that i could think of that had a real personal profound impact on me what about you there's got to be something you know, so many of these conversations I just loved. And I was like, wow, they're paying me to do this? This is incredible. <laughs> and then I looked at what I was actually getting paid and it's like, wait, you're paying me hundreds of dollars to do this? <laughs> Still, I don't. I think the producers are listening right now, so I don't want to say I'd do it for free, but I kind of would do it for free. Um, <laughs> it's a, practically free. You know, I would say that for me, my very favorite episode, and this really says something about our show, was the one that I did without you when you were unavailable. <laughs> I just spit did you just take. do a spit take? I just did that a spit take for uh, for people not on YouTube. I'm so glad you didn't tell your parents you wanted to become an actor because <laughs> that was the worst spit take I've ever seen. You you know what they said in in when I was studying comedy in acting school is like you never half bake a double take. So, so say like, I'm looking over here, I'm not going to do a spit take, but I'll do a, do a double take uh -huh. for those watching on YouTube okay. right now. Tell me, um, say, Hey rain, the, the Pope is dead. Ready? Go. Uh, Hey rain, the uh, Pope is dead. Wow. That was, whew. you have to commit to it. Wow. For you uh, can't half, you can't half ass it. Yeah. But my favorite episode was my conversation with my good friend, David Cho, um, about creativity and pain. And you weren't there, but, and we were in the studio, which kind of gave us a license to kind of go crazy. I had no idea that David Cho was going to undertake the persona of being me. He knows a lot about me and my personal life. And he's really into like kind of doing deep dive therapy into the essence of, you know, what makes us tick. And uh, we did a little bit of role-playing. It really um, echoed a lot of my story of how I felt growing up, alienated, isolated, and how, I, I, how, and, and how that manifested in so, so many dysfunctional ways in my life. And how being an artist and, and acting was such a, a, a relief and an escape from, from how I could funnel all these emotions that you just openly uh, shared with me how I, I put that into my art so thank you for that well i never thanks thank you rain i never would have you know if this was five years ago and i'd had those emotions mm -hmm. you know i don't know what i would have done with them i would have taken them out they would have come out come out sideways in some way yeah i've i've heard old uh, you know Howard Stern and, yeah. and and your own podcast that you used to do and it yeah. was just it sounded like a, a, a just someone that was in so much pain yeah. and didn't know how to deal with it. I remember listening to that and thinking two things. Number one, why is this podcast so much better without me? And number <laughs> two, 
Why is David Cho a better Rain Wilson than Rain Wilson is? Uh, that, that was weird, <laughs> right? Wow. So here's so what I'm taking away is that we could get rid of you and then replace me with David Cho. There you go. And David Cho should have his own podcast. Season two, folks. That's what's coming up season on season two, two it's, of Metaphysical It's all shape. possibilities. But I really do admire this about David and um, and it, it challenged me in a lot of ways. And I love how part of what we do, Reza, what we've tried to do is walk this line of like, we're not a self-help podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not a huggy, feel good, kind of Oprah light kind of podcast. But at the same time, some of our conversations naturally go in that direction. Mm -hmm. Because when you're talking about psychology and self-improvement and kind of... Um, interacting in the world in a more realized way, then it it does tiptoe into, and when you're talking about addiction, you know, it tiptoes into therapy and into recovery. And there are aspects of our show that have to do with improving ourselves. And I, I really liked that conversation with David Cho about digging into, you know, how pain and creativity are, are interlinked. And it's kind of a cliche. We've seen all the the movies of the tortured artists. You know, I'm thinking about Kirk Douglas as Vincent Van Gogh and every other scene from the, that was from Lust for Life from the 60s. And he, every other scene is like, oh, I'm so tortured. And um, <laughs> it, it, it's become kind of cliche, but you know, how can you transform pain into gold? You know, how yeah. can you transform trauma that a trauma that causes us, that leads us towards addiction how can you use that to make someone laugh or create something beautiful? Um, and that was really uh, that was uh, that was really cool. I, I'm, I was really pleased that we were able to to walk that line so well. Some of our episodes are a little can be a little cerebral, perhaps, but I don't mind that. Sometimes I like to listen to a nice cerebral conversation, and some of them are kind of a little personal, you know, and kind of get you on a gut level. So I hope, dear listeners that we are satisfying both of those needs. Uh, what I loved about that episode, I remember there were, well, first, because, you know, I mean, I, I already, I obviously know about, you know, your story growing up and, you know, the, the conflicts with in, inside your family and stuff, but it was interesting to hear that coming out of David Cho's mouth. That was, that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the, the other thing, and it, it talk about like moments uh, in this season that have stayed with me. There was something that David said that was so obvious, but it just blew my mind. And it was, you know, in the midst of this conversation of like, do you need trauma, you know, suffering in order to be an artist? And his answer was like, yes, because everybody has trauma and suffering and some of mm. those people become artists. <laughs> like, it was so fast. It's like, we, we're all dealing with trauma from childhood like we're all dealing with that so there's nothing unusual about an artist like an artist has like some soul access to trauma right like we're all dealing yeah. with it it's just artists become artists and people are like did you have trauma in your childhood that made you such a great artist and you're like well yes because so did you and that made you an interviewer, and that made you a carpenter, and that made you, you know, a housewife or whatever it is. Uh, I was like, that's so basic and yet so true and profound. One of my favorite moments. 
Turns out everything you think you know about probiotics may be wrong. I mean, I don't know how much you actually thought you knew about probiotics, but trust me, it's wrong. But here's the good news. Seeds Daily Symbiotic is the real deal. Not all probiotics are created equal. So what is the Daily Symbiotic? Well, it's a broad spectrum, two-in-one probiotic plus a prebiotic. It's a proprietary formulation of 24 distinct probiotic strains in scientifically studied dosages. Proprietary engineered two-in-one capsule that protects probiotics through digestion to ensure delivery to the colon because that's what it's about, folks. If you've taken a probiotic before and you never felt a difference, you know what happened? Uh, Maybe the good bacteria wasn't surviving in your GI tract. Seed is designed differently and that is why it works. So what does the Daily Symbiotic do for you? It supports benefits in and beyond the gut. Seed will support ease of bloating, healthy regularity, colon, and ease of evacuation, pooping. But it will also support your gut barrier. I didn't know that was such a thing. Skin health, heart health, and micronutrient synthesis. Many see improvements in digestion within 24 to 48 hours, which can include bowel movement regularity, pooping, and eased bloating. So start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash milkshake. You can use the code milkshake to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash milkshake. And remember, use the code milkshake. So Warby Parker, we've heard that name before. It was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, contact lenses, and even eye exams, Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores. Warby Parker also carries a variety of contact lens brands, including AccuView and Biofinity. You can save 15% on your first order of contacts, no promo code needed. Warby Parker also offers their very own daily contact lens, Scout by Warby Parker. Scout is a breathable and affordable daily contact lens. A 90-day pack is only $55. Blue light filtering lenses are now available. They're all the rage. They filter more blue light than their standard polycarbonate or high-index lenses. So it's super easy to get started. You take a home quiz. You go on their fabulous website, get to know their brands. You can try on glasses, send them back. It's very, very customer-friendly, folks. What a great brand. Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. Glasses start at only $95, including prescription lenses. Try Warby Parker's free home try-on program Order five pairs of glasses to try on at home for free for five days. There's no obligation to buy. Ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. So try five pair of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash, you guessed it, milkshake. Warbyparker.com slash milkshake. And and segueing there and continuing in this mode of like self-help, self-improvement aspect of our show, 
I was so really touched by our conversation with the monks. Mm -hmm. That's one of my very favorite episodes from this last year. We got to speak to the monks from Plum Village Monastery in France, and they just mic dropped so much wisdom. Um, it was really mind-blowing, and their, their kind of simplicity, humility, and humor were really staggering. But um, I, got to, I got to rant a little bit at the end, and it's about a personal peeve of mine about how, you know, um, in so much contemporary secular self-help-y like Los Angeles, there's this idea that spirituality, which is a which is a topic and a theme that I'm super obsessed with and interested in and writing a book about and mm. I think about a lot and meditate about a lot and pray about a lot, but that there's this kind of narcissistic use of um uh of spiritual tools to simply make oneself feel better. Oh, I'm going to this yoga class or I'm looking at this crystal or using this meditation app and oh, I've achieved a certain level of serenity and that's it. Phew, my job is done and then you detach from it and go go about your crazy insane non-spiritual life, you know, uh, doing whatever it is you do in the big city. And then you just come back in order to kind of use it to stabilize. And, and I loved how the monks addressed that. How can you, what would you say to people in contemporary America around this, this issue of kind of almost a selfish use of the mindfulness practice simply to just kind of make their lives a little bit more tolerable? I'm sorry that I'm a little bit... <laughs> I have a little bit of bitterness and anger around this because I, I, I find it incredibly frustrating. Maybe we wouldn't call that mindfulness. I think we would call that like kind of panacea, like we'd call it, it's, it's, it's something you're not trying to wake up. You're, you're actually helping yourself be a bit more comfortable, a bit more asleep, and just to get through the day and keep it all going as is. So I think we wouldn't recognize that as actually of what we call mindfulness, which is a kind of spiritual energy that helps you wake up to see your life more clearly and to see what's going on around you more clearly. And then when you see things clearly, the, the ethical action, the motivation, the intention, the change is automatically triggered and put in place because as, as Brother Fapu was saying, you see the suffering, you want to bring relief. You see the suffering of your colleagues, your family members, you want to help. Like there's this sort of dynamism in real mindfulness, which is an awakening to suffering, which leads to a deep wish to change and for action and movement. I think what was so br brilliant about it was that the, the idea that um, monasticism, like you go, I always thought, you know, uh, the whole point of monasticism was like to separate yourself from the world so that you could go inward. And I loved when they were like, well, yes, but that's the means to an end. You go inward so that you could go back to the world, right? You withdraw from the world yes. so that you could re-enter the world as a new person and 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 sort of act upon it, right? Which is, I mean, look, it's one of our favorite uh, motifs. You hear it, you know, on multiple episodes, which is like uh, putting your values into action, putting your 
your you know uh, morals into action like what what's the point of values if you don't act them out into the world and uh and it was just like a a, a brilliant reminder of of that foundational idea that we always talk about and if if and spirituality uh, in particular that's a false spirituality that it is um something to be used almost like a drug to relieve anxiety and stress just almost in a similar way. Oh, instead of taking a Xanax, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But spirituality has to do as well with, well, it has to do with the spirit. So it has to do with stuff that has isn't of the animal. And part of the spirit is compassion. And I love that idea that that next step, uh, first you have compassion for yourself, and then you have compassion for those close to you, and then you have compassion for those that are alien and different from you. And then that compassion and that need to alleviate the suffering of yourself and those close to you, but then to alleviate the suffering of those distant from you, like those are necessary spiritual steps. And I, I have been thinking about that no less than every single day yeah. since having that conversation. And I really feel like it's my personal mission. We, we steep ourselves in compassion so that we can take action to reduce the suffering of others. Of others yeah. And if you're not engaged in that process, then whatever it is you're doing is not spirituality. Another favorite episode of mine was uh, Dr. Ian Wallace. Um, he is the the dream expert, Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. It was a strange. It was a strange episode. It was like not like an episode that we normally do. It was very much, and, a, and we weren't sure what that was going to be like going in. Right? <laughs> I mean, right. we had our doubts. We're like, who is this guy? We got sent this weird dream book. <laughs> yeah. I was honestly, I was honestly a little skeptical. This is going to be so frou frou. But the dude was legit. Legit. I mean, creepy legit. Uh, and uh, and. Uh, I got to share a a recurring dream that I have had all my life, and maybe we could uh, listen to me sharing that dream right now. This is a dream that I have had all my life. It's a recurring dream. Okay. It, it I have it, I don't know, maybe, I'm going to say maybe four or five times a year. And it's a... It's a derivative of the teeth falling out dream, but it's not the teeth falling out dream. Usually the way the dream works is it, it often begins with me chewing gum. So I'm chewing gum or something. And then the gum gets stuck in my molars. Like it gets stuck in my molars. And so I reach into my mouth and I pull the gum, but the gum has like this infinite stretchability and I'm just pulling and I'm pulling. And the more I pull, the more the molar, it ne the molar never comes out, but it just, it yanks and I could feel it in my jaw. It's the most real sensation. It's just yanking it and yanking it. And then, and then so at some point what happens is that the gum stops being gum or usually like it, a bit of it comes out, but there's still, I can feel with my tongue, there's still a little bit there, like underneath the the tooth. And then I will reach in there and I'll grab it. And it's not so much gum as it is just kind of like a like a, a fibrous material, almost like um almost like uh like a tendon or something that I just pull and I pull a little bit more and I think, oh, I'll just pull just a little bit more and it'll come out. I can feel it sort of coming out of my gums. Again, the sensation is so real. Uh, even now, as I'm talking about it, I can absolutely feel it. And I just keep going 
and going. And I think if I just go a little bit more, I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off at the end. I could like bite it off, but then there's a little piece still missing. There's a little piece still sticking out. So I, so I keep pulling at it. I keep pulling at it. It is maddening and it never, ever ends. <laughs> what the hell is happening to me? Ian, what's happening to me? Yeah. This is the 54th most common dream from around the world. Get out of here. <laughs> Have I? No, it's, uh, it's absolutely. It's, uh, as you were saying that. Then, well, you weren't jerking. Thinking, you were yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the 54th most common one. Uh, it can be chewing gum. Some people have treacle. It's interesting what happens is, is it, yeah, some people just stay with chewing gum. Uh, people uh, often talk about some sort of thread of some fibrous material. Yes, that's it. Which is what, what you share, Reza. Yeah. I shared that dream that you just heard uh, with uh, Dr. Wallace, asked him what it meant. Like I said, I've had this dream all my life. And what he said was, I kind of, I wrote it down here. He was like, okay, well, so look, the, the mouth is how we share our thoughts and emotions. And he was saying what it, what it, by the way, he was like, <laughs> I think he said, that's like the, 37th most common dream the dream that I had like it's so right. weird that he's just got that in his in his head he's like that's number 37 he's an encyclopedia walking encyclopedia <laughs> of dreams yeah and what he said was the dream represents the fact that I often have something that I need to say some some emotion that I need to express like in my you know private life and for one reason or another I don't do so. And it becomes sort of, oh, the thing that I need to share is messy. It's sticky, just like the gum, right? It's sticky. Mm, and, uh, mm. and, I don't, uh, and I don't share it. And there's no reason why Metaphysical Milkshake listeners should know this about me, but oh my God, that was like peering into my soul. <laughs> like, okay, if you could, mm. if you could listen in on any of our, uh, my, me and my wife's couple counseling sessions, that would basically. Oh, I be, have. As, oh, I have. As of course yeah. you have. Then you know, like uh, this is a, a common theme of like Reza. You need to actually share the things that you are thinking with your wife. You can't just keep keeping things inside of you because they're too messy to bring up. Um, I was like, holy shit, man! This uh, Ian Wallace, real deal, real deal. That was a that was a very insightful moment uh, for me. Another moment that resonated for me uh, was uh, Heather McGee mm-hmm. and uh, so her book, what is The Sum of Us, sum right? Of us, yeah. um, the book was so powerful and the conversation with her was so enlightening because uh, so many light bulbs went off for me about racism and her theory that if we posit fixing racism on economic lines that just might get through to a lot of thick-skulled racist out there that there may be a solution ahead. Drain Public Pool um, really stands in to help explain what happened to a whole host of public goods and protections Mm that the government used to really have a strong commitment to in this country. Think about the massive expansion of 
working class people being able to afford a home because of subsidies and housing. Think mm-hmm. about Social Security. Think about the GI Bill, which made college free for a generation of GIs. And all of that, either explicitly or implicitly, excluded most Black people, just like the pools. And what I found was that if you try to explain what happened to the like great American dream, the great middle class, the Aussie and Harriet, the, you know, it was basically easy to have a really great standard of living. We had the highest standard of living in the world. And then what happened starting in the late seventies and eighties, where it suddenly became this inequality economy, right? What an economy that used to look like a football with a fatter middle and, and, and smaller numbers of high and low income people then look like a bow tie with a sh- shrunken middle and a lot more poor people and a lot more very rich people. Like what happened? I know what happened in terms of, you know, what we changed in taxes and labor, but why? And really the drain pool helps explain how it was mm-hmm. that the majority of white Americans turned their backs on the formula that had created the middle class, that had given nice things to millions of people in a public free way, and instead made them a private cost and a private luxury. This was so eminently practical to kind of like, let's just break it down, you know, like accountants. You know, if we didn't have this rate, if we invested in the education and the infrastructure of BIPOC people, of immigrants, black, indigenous folks, that there could be incredible payoffs to our gross national product. And this would lift everyone up. It would lift all businesses up. And I know it sounds kind of crass. I mean, it sounds, you know, just kind of, well, you know, greedy and capitalistic, but maybe that's, we've, we've tried so many other ways to break through on this issue and, and to wrestle with this issue. Um, and it's, and it's a very similar parallel with climate change, by the way, like oftentimes when you address climate change with the fact of like, Hey, we're going to have to get off oil and gas anyway. And why do we want to be, you know, slave to importing oil and gas from Saudi Arabia and Russia and places like that? Why can't we, you know, generate renewable, reusable resources. It's going to create so many jobs. It's going to, you know, it's going to lift all boats and new technologies. This is going to be, oh, we could be the worldwide exporter of windmills and solar panels and, you know, what have you. Um, It's a very valid argument to make to a big segment of the population, you know, that electric cars just make sense. They're fun to drive they're economical over the life of the car, and they also make our planet better and our air cleaner. This parallel between climate change, there is an economic solution to climate change, rather, and and an economic uh, way of viewing racism, I thought was really uh, fascinating and exciting. And boy, she backed it up with some hard data. And there was uh, a lot of like really cool data and science around racism that I had never seen before really opened some doors. Yeah, that was, uh, it was fascinating. It was infuriating. It was one of those episodes that we do sometimes like, look, we have episodes that sometimes are very personal. They, they really touch us, make us think differently about ourselves, make us change our behavior, which I, I really appreciate. And then there are episodes that are just kind of mind expanding and pardon the pun but that reminds me of uh, annie murphy paul's episode uh i think therefore i am <laughs> where 
she explained and you know it it sounds it sounds sophisticated and complicated but but it has these profound and interesting implications she explained that the mind um does not exist inside the brain right that the mind mm. is about the the conversation the dialogue between the brain and the other organs and the other systems our, our nervous system and that indeed um the mind exists only when the the brain encounters other contexts right and other uh people and brains and minds and you know that that all sounds very scientific and you know hard to kind of truly understand what it means what are the real world implications of it but what came out of that conversation was this fascinating new way of thinking about the soul a subject that you and i have no small amount of interest in because yeah as we discussed if the mind and the soul are the same insofar as they are both kind of the seat of our essence right who we truly are yeah consciousness exactly right uh, awareness of self however you want to to put it the idea that the mind only exists in context to other minds and in, in, in within the context of your surroundings um this idea that like the mind is so much bigger and more expansive than anything that is in our body that it's beyond our body was i would say unintentionally <laughs> such a profound spiritual idea from a kind of raw scientific mind which is uh, what um Annie Murphy Paul was that that one was a that one was one that made me think completely differently gut instinct is is a colloquial phrase that reflects our sense that uh, and it's an accurate sense that um the body is intimately involved in in our thinking processes and mm. and as i mentioned there's this process called interoception which um is one of the ways in which the body alerts us to all the things we know on a non-conscious level but that you know th there's far too much information that we encounter uh every day in order to uh for us to pr consciously process and store and remember all of that. But we do store and process and store that on a non-conscious level. So then the question is, how do we get access to that information that we, that we do possess? And the answer is that the, it's the body that alerts us to, to regularities um, that we're seeing in, in, um, in our environment, to patterns that we've encountered before. It's the body with those, you know, little twinges and feelings of tension or um, excitement or fear that are sort of tapping us on the shoulder or tugging us on the sleeve and saying, pay attention. You've seen this before. You know, you, you have the body is preparing us to take on that challenge, but all of that mm -hmm. happens below awareness. And so we don't count it as thinking, but it's actually um, really a, a very consequential part of thinking. We, we identify ourselves with our conscious minds, but so much of, mental activity happens below consciousness. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You know, listeners, milkshakers, we've had so many incredible guests. Um, the producer let us know during the break. It was 45, Reza. It was 45. 40, it, it feels like 450. Is he right it about felt, that? Yeah, it felt like 10 times that many. It was a lot of conversations. <laughs> but one of the things that we really loved doing this first season was checking in with you, the listeners, and bringing folks on the show, getting to know folks on social media, having them leave us some good reviews, of course, is always super helpful. And what we've done for this episode is we've dipped the dipstick in again to the pool of oily listeners. And we are checking in with them all. And we would love to hear some of your life's biggest questions and address them live on the air. It's not live at all. It is pre-recorded on the podcast, heavily edited. Nonetheless, we've got some really cool, funny, interesting folks who left a message at SpeakPipe dot com slash metaphysical milkshake speakpipe.com slash metaphysical milkshake is the place to leave us your life's big question and let us connect with you auditorily. Shall we roll some of these res? What do you think? Let's do it. Hi, I am Luis Varela and I am a listener from Barcelona. Um, I love how you talk about subjects that are not usually talked about and that a lot of us think about. I am all for science. Here's my question. I'm all for science and a reality-based world, a reality-based worldview. But if according to quantum physics, the basic foundations of our mass, our reality, our matter, pop in and out of existence, like electrons and other particles, if they are continually, continuously popping in and out of existence, can we really say that this is reality, what we see and what we can measure with our science? And isn't the fact that we have, especially now, we can see how people see reality so differently. I'm talking politically, socially, and even scientifically, some people, and we can call some, some of this pseudoscience, but they still have some sort of a crazy idea of different realities. Isn't that proof that reality is really up for grabs and depends on the point of view, like quantum physics says? Very, very Ooh, I love this. interesting. I, I want him on the show. Can we get him on the show, please? I love I love all our global guests. Like we we've heard from yeah. people from all over the world. I love that, and including from Barcelona. I say it in the correct way because I. I'm cool that way. Yeah, I was wondering why he didn't hit that the uh Bar sound there. Barcelona. But, but uh, what do you, what do you think? What do you what do you think about this? I mean, 
He's talking about perception and reality and science and the kind of intersection. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about this actually a lot, which is a weird thing to say, but I have thought about this a lot in my free time when I'm just like hanging around, you know, making dinner and I start thinking to myself, is uh, reality subjective? Um, here's, here's kind of where I land on this. Like, there's no question that perception is subjective. I think we all understand that, that that our experience of reality, the way that we perceive reality is highly subjective to the point where one could make the argument that since, you know, a tree that falls in the forest doesn't make a sound unless someone is there to hear it, then therefore... There is no such thing as objective reality. If if we can all agree that perception is by definition subjective and that the only way reality is experienced is by perception, then can you make the jump and say all reality is subjective? There is no such thing as objective reality. Maybe. But I do think that one could say that there is like an objective reality out there. There's an objective universe, a thing that actually exists. But each one of us experiences that objective reality differently. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Like, you know, it's the old, what's the old story about like the, whatever, the, the blind men touching different yes, parts the of elephants. the elephant? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. everyone is touching it differently, and so therefore everyone has a completely different understanding of what is before them—a subjective understanding. But there is an elephant; the elephant is objective, um, and I think that's kind of how I think of the universe as the elephant. But that there's no—I don't think actually reaching that objective reality. There's no way that we could actually experience it as objective reality because the very act of experiencing it through our senses makes it subjective. I didn't understand a word you said. <laughs> um, but it sounded I good. I, I, guess, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I guess about. it sounded okay. But um, yeah, you know, this is it's this is not my area of expertise, not my metier, and and definitely, if we're doing a show called Metaphysical Milkshake, there is a metaphysical element to perception, consciousness, and the intersection between what can be proven in science. So you're saying, you know, if all reality is subjective, well, a scientist would say all reality is not subjective because when we take a plate of iron and we put it here and we have computers monitoring it and cameras and data sensors and we hit it with radons and we're able to monitor what happens when the radons bounce off of this plate, there's we are we are attempting to put together a picture, as twere, of the reality of you know what's happening that can be proven again. You could do the same experiment in a thousand years from now, or you can do it in South Africa, or you can do it on Mars. It doesn't matter. Um, it's going to have the same result. But I think deeper than that, um, the thing that always freaks me out is the idea of a chair. Like there's a chair and you're looking at a chair and it's brown because it's made out of wood. So that means 
it's some reason all the atoms and molecules are absorbing all the different colors except brown, and brown is bouncing off and hitting your eye. So it's not brown, Mm -hmm. it's reflecting brown light for whatever reason. I don't understand. That, works. that could be chair. the topic. It's not even for a chair. Two. It's but it's not a chair. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Is yeah. and then you go deeper, it's not a chair. Like, what is the chairness of a chair? Like, is it um we, we're taught that it's oh, it's these molecules that are all bound together that make it solid, but it's not solid not at solid. all. There's more space than there is matter. Yeah. There's way more space than matter. The matter in a chair could probably be boiled <laughs> down to the size of a pea, you know? But or even smaller, like a BB, but yet you can sit on it. Um, and then is there, there, there's probably more dark matter and dark energy in that chair. So um, how we're seeing reality is this giant illusion. We're walking through this giant, you know, uh, we are av- physical avatars walking through this, to quote the, <laughs> the James Cameron movie, we're physical avatars walking through a matrix-like environment that is uh, illusion upon illusion upon illusion. And it seems like the deeper the physicists keep digging into what is reality, they kind of have no fucking clue. So I don't know. But thank you for, thanks for calling, calling it in, Barcelona. I didn't get your name, but thank you so much. Hey guys, I just started your podcast and I'm very far behind, but I do have a question. Um, I don't follow any religion per se. Um, I believe in the universe. I believe in the law of attraction, um, all those kinds of things. Anyway, um, I, I have two kids and of course we don't go to church, any church at all. And I, I was just wondering, how can I introduce them? to religion if i don't follow a religion like say my brother he's a mormon um and i know that's going to be something that they're going to ask me about you know my kids so i'm wondering um how can i introduce religion to them should i just take them to a church or what would you guys recommend thanks guys i love this question i love this question thank you so much Uh, Say hi to your brother, the Mormon. And here's the answer. It's really simple. Make up your own religion. And do this by stealing the best bits from all of the world's religions. Because when you look at every single religious faith, there are some really, really cool stuff out there. And you can just poach it and make it your own. So let your children grow up within a United Nations of religions. You know, from Hinduism, you can take the incredible stories of heroism and the gods, the beautiful mythology, but there are also some really incredibly uh, profound spiritual truths at the center of it about how we are all connected and all consciousness is one. From Buddhism, you can learn those great kind of kind of Eckhart Tolle boiled down those essential lessons of Buddhism, being in the moment. Um, you know, the alleviation of suffering. From Christianity, we learn to like give alms to the poor, to follow in the example of Jesus Christ. There's incredible stories about Jesus that you can read over and over again. You can, the list goes on and on. So just assemble uh, a best of uh, from the world's religions and let your kids love and appreciate all of the world's faiths and what's beautiful about them all. And, uh, 
this is the this is the next step. This is the next step in the evolution. What do you think, Rez? Hundred percent. I mean, I'm Muslim. My wife is Christian, and this is exactly how we raise our kids. We just teach them about all the religions of the world, and we do it in a way that's fun and accessible. You know, we tell the story of the Buddha. We've had them make um, little, you know, Hindu gods out of clay. We've um, done a lot of traveling. We've done, we've gone to like Buddhist temples and Zen temples. We we actually created our own Zen garden, a little tiny Zen garden in our yard. Um, you know, we go to church. Uh, we've we've gone to temple on high holidays, and we just, you know. There's there's a couple of things that that's important about this. Number one, teaching your kids about religion is the same as teaching your kids about culture. <laughs> you know, it's so funny how people like a lot of very sophisticated, in, you know, intellectual, progressive uh, parents out there are like, I'm gonna, I want my kids to be global citizens. I want to teach them about the world. Well, religion is one of, if not the most important factors in the cultures mm. of the world. And it's so funny how like sometimes people are like, well, I can't teach them about the world's religions because I don't know, what if they become one of those things? Number one, it, that that's that's really not in your uh, control, <laughs> you know, honestly. Like no matter how much you try to control uh, what your kids are going to end up believing, they're going to do it on their own regardless. And number two, and I never get tired of this fact, and unfortunately, I, I, I don't have the data in front of me, but the most likely indicator for why an individual becomes a fundamentalist or, I've actually read this data, joins a cult, <laughs> is uh, if they grew up with an understanding of world religions or not. In other words, if you teach your kids about the religions of the world, they are extraordinarily unlikely to become either a cult member or a fundamentalist. Why? Because at a very early age, they've learned that there's no such thing as absolute truth, that like what Judaism says sounds a lot like what Islam says, and like what Christians believe sounds a lot like what, you know, Mormons believe, and that, hey, there's not that much separating, you know, Buddhism from Hinduism. And when you kind of grow up with that understanding, then somebody shows up and says, let me tell you, kid, I've got access to truth. I got soul access to truth, and you got to believe it. They're going to be like, bullshit, get the fuck out of here. They don't fall for it anymore. So... I think for a lot of like secular-minded, non-religious people who are like, I don't know, I'm nervous about teaching my kids about religion because I don't want them to become like crazy religious. If you teach them about religions, they won't become crazy religious. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. That's great. That's cool to hear. You know, uh, it's very much in alignment with the Baha'i faith, um, which certainly believes in the universal truths of all the world's religions. And I want to recommend a book called The Family Virtues Guide. Uh, you can find it online, Family Virtues Guide. And there's a bunch, there's Family Virtues cards and there's various books and books for teachers. But one of the universals that uh, raising your kids in this way uh, helps with is the idea of virtues. Because every religious faith has the idea of like right and wrong, good and bad. And it's based on virtues. And one might posit these virtues as um compassion and patience and kindness and humility. And these qualities, which are so 
nobly kind of evidenced by some of the great teachers like the Buddha, like Christ, like Muhammad, that we emulate these qualities of the divine and teach them to our children because they're certainly not learning them at school or on television or on video games or on social media. So these uh, divine qualities can help our children become better human beings with stronger moral convictions and not a morality of like a judgmental morality of like burning in hell, right and wrong, but simply being a good person is based foundationally in the idea of moral, spiritual virtues. Good luck on your journey. Hi there. Um, my name's Clara, and my question is, are there more wheels or doors in the world? Thank you. Thank you, Clara. Thanks for calling in. This is a big internet meme. Have you heard this, Reza? I'm not cool enough to, to know what this is about. Are there more wheels or doors in the world? So on the wheel side of things, you can say, well, cars each have four. Some cars have two doors. Bicycles have wheels. Planes have wheels, more wheels than doors. Trucks have a lot of wheels, very few doors. But then there's all the houses. All of the houses, Reza. Very few of them on wheels, but you know, some of them are on wheels. Yeah, so I'm gonna go, when I boil it all down, when I think about seven billion people, and I'm thinking about six and a half billion of them um, live in houses without wheels, and on, there's only about a billion, a billion and a half cars on the planet, and vehicles, like let's just say total two billion. When I'm doing the math, I'm going with doors. I'm going all in on doors. It's so funny. I Not being uh, familiar with this me meme, I thought this was a philosophical question. I was sitting here racking my brain thinking to myself, well, like what does wheels represent? Wheels represent movement, <laughs> you know, doors represent entrances and no. No, it's just one of those internet questions. But I would say, yes, I agree with you. I'm going to say doors. We're going with doors. I hope someone has done the actual research on this after this has been bouncing around the internet for the last couple of weeks. And uh, dear producers, if you can find an answer for us on this, we want to get to the bottom. Thank you for this life's big question about wheels and doors. I would like to know some hard facts. Let's roll the next audio tape. Hi, this is Laura. I love this question about um, kind of our big questions in life. I think the one that's biggest for me right now and is weighing heavy on me is not so much how we deal with grief, but how do we live with grief and the effects of trauma and move through it and heal from it. Um, I have a background in psychology and I've had 20 years of therapy, um, but it, this is still one that I struggle with. So how do we live with it in a way that it doesn't completely overtake us and shut us down? Thank you again for everything. Love your work, love your podcast, um, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for that great question. And, you know, um, I, I think I've shared on the podcast before, my, my father passed away about a year and a half ago and uh, during the making of this podcast, actually. And 
Um, so grief has been a big part of my life um, over this last year and a half, especially that first six months after he passed away. And uh, I was in therapy too and did a lot of reading about grief and a lot of consulting with other people that had undergone it and meditating about it. And I, I don't have any solution. I don't have any quick answers, but I guess the couple of things that, a couple of perspectives that I would offer are number one, that grief needs to be honored. And in our society, we don't really look at grief. We don't deal with death. We don't deal with grief. It's kind of something to be, you know, swept under the rug or shoved into a closet. And grief is such a huge part of life. Um, we will all grieve at some point in this world. And it might be for a pet, might be for a, a dead fern. Um, and it could be definitely probably will be loss of a friend or loved one, a family member. And so it has to be honored and there has to be a space given to it and an understanding that grief is a natural part of life. Death is a natural part of life and grief, grief that goes along with it. So that's number one. Um, and I think too, that, you know, when the Buddha said that life is suffering, um, he meant it, that th this is a life in which we get attached to things and those things are taken away from us and that causes suffering in the Sanskrit dukkha, which is uh, irritation. And uh, the more we understand it as a, just a natural part of the cycle of life, then it becomes okay. It's okay to grieve, it's okay to be sad, it's gonna take a lot of time and it's gonna take as long as it takes. Because for some people, the death of a spouse, a child, a parent, a loved one um, is going to take a few months, and some people it's going to take a few years. And guess what? You never really get over it. You know, I still, um, on pretty much a weekly basis, you know, remember my dad. He was a dear friend to me, a supporter of me. Um, we were very, very close. We had our ups and downs, like everyone does, but. I still get sad and I still uh, feel grief and I have to kind of just stop and honor it sometimes. So I'm sure there's more to be said on this. I'm no shrink, but um, Reza, what do you think? I don't think I could add to anything that you just said, honestly. I think you said it beautifully. You've just witnessed history. Reza Aslan has nothing to add. Unbelievable. Hello, Reza Aslin and Drain Wilson. This is your fan from Russia. My name is Olga. Uh, my today's big question is uh, what is wrong with the world and what is wrong with people? Thank you very much. <laughs> Olga from Russia. Should we even be answering this question, Reza? There's like 15 different ways to answer this, but like the 10 second way would be to say that we, I think the the, the, the simplest answer to what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with people is that we have this kind of narcissistic view of the world in which like our experiences are the only experiences that matter. And yeah, we might be, you know, nominally aware of other people um, and their emotions and their experiences, but it's so hard to kind of uh, be, what are you doing? Are you raising the you're roof? You're nailing it. I'm yeah. celebrating. <laughs> you're this raising is the a roof. Celebratory dance. I'm, you're nailing it. I love it. It's so hard for us to, you know, 
uh, forgive the cliche, but like walking in another person's shoes, you know, like I'm, I'm almost 50 years old and I'm only now starting to get used to the idea of sort of seeing a situation from someone else's perspective and thinking to myself, huh, you know, it's possible that they might be thinking something that I don't think, or they might be experiencing this in a way that I'm not experiencing it. Um, it's just so hard to do. It's so hard to do. We're just not, we're not sort of prepped, uh, to do it. And, uh, you know, I mean, if I were to say like the, the simplest answer to what's wrong with everything, which should definitely be a season two topic, what's wrong with everything? Um, that's what I would say. You know, you just were, uh, hitting it on the head and we're so in alignment on this question. And I was thinking, you know what, what humanity needs more than anything else what's that? to go along with your answer. We need a compassion machine. Ooh, an empathy, a machine. compassion machine. You need to, you plug yourself in every day and for 15 minutes, it literally puts you in another person's shoes. So you get to be in the shoes of a Ukrainian family walking through the winter snow and ice toward the Polish border. And you just see what the shoes feel like and that your socks are wet and you've worn the same pair of underwear for four days in a row and you've only eaten like a, a rotten potato and, and a Snickers bar and, um, and you're shivering and, you know, and occasionally there's air raid sirens going off and you have to be in that person's body to understand like the perils of war, like, holy shit, war sucks. This is terrible. And the same thing with like an immigrant family, you know, having to leave Honduras because they ran afoul of like corrupt government supported gangs and had to leave because their lives were being threatened and they're trying to make their way through Mexico. Their stuff is stolen along the way. They're at the border. They just want to get jobs and provide and be good citizens. They're just trying to escape and make a life for themselves. And this machine, I don't know how it works. Like it's a 3D, it kind of looks like one of those Oculus Facebook meta machines, I guess, but it's got sensors all around. You've got to experience cold, you've got to experience pain and it's going to put you into other people's experiences. And if everyone had to do this 15 minutes a day, maybe we change the world. Okay, first of all, I think you just pitched your next TV show. And number two, yeah, I mean, or just, you know, maybe you walk into the shoes of the guy on the other side of the donut counter, <laughs> you know, where it's yep. like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Uh, he's having his own experience too. And it's different from no, my that's experience. Good. That's good. It doesn't have to be an epic tale of suffering. It can just be another person yep. trying to get by. These are all just like amazing questions and you know maybe as we're kind of planning for this season two we'll uh we'll borrow some of these uh we got a lot of amazing guests so many more existential questions to ask uh so many uh just mind expanding conversations to have uh i'm really looking forward to doing a bunch more of these with you 
Uh, it's been a great season, Reza. 45 guests, so many stimulating, amazing conversations. I'm so privileged to be part of this journey on this podcast. Uplifting, exciting conversations. Uh, and hey, folks, do you want more of Life's Big Questions? You can help us out. Find us on social media. Please follow us at Reza Aslan. And I'm at Rain Wilson, of course. But on Twitter, follow us on at MetaMilkPodcast and on Instagram at MetaphysicalMilkshake. That's at MetaphysicalMilkshake on Instagram. Let us know your life's big questions. We might just explore them on a future episode. And remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And what else, Rez? Well, you can also subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel, people. You can watch our full episodes every week. Rain, I'll see you next season. I'll see you next season. Same podcast channel, new season, Metaphysical Milkshake. Thanks to all of our producers and friends at Cast Media. And uh, so excited. And thanks to all of you. And thank you, all of you, you dear, beautiful, wonderful, smart, brilliant, big-hearted milkshakers. Thanks for coming along this ride with us. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Paris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. I just feel like that's the the most Russian question I've ever heard in my entire life. Like What's a, wrong with the world? What's wrong with people? It's like out of a Chekhov. Play. I was just gonna say, I'm pretty sure that's like the title of the Dostoevsky novel. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with What's people? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with people? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.